All right. Ah, good evening. Uh, wonderful to be with you tonight. And uh, it's not like I haven't been talking all week. <laughs> but um, I have an opportunity to share some Dharma with you and, um, and have this forum to connect with you and perhaps even hear some of your experiences a little, little later. So it's with great appreciation that, uh, that we come to the place in this retreat where we're it's not like we're actually done, but there's a certain culmination of our practice at this point. And I just want to recognize with you that the, when the Buddha was asked, you know, what do you teach? He said, I teach the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. That's a, that's a big mouthful right there. So uh, in various ways, we've undertaken the, the metta practice and the qigong practice and the integration of these wonderful, skillful means. And then you've also heard uh, the perspectives and the wisdom out, that comes out of direct experience from from Mark as he talked about the, uh, the inner critic and the way that that kind of impacts our mind stream. And uh, Temple talked about the sanctuary of the heart, so important that we find this incredible refuge of potential there that happens um, or that we can help to cultivate. And then Spring, of course, uh, talked about many things. But she talked about the path and its various um, manifestations. How, you know, how from the Theravadan tradition, from the Thai forest tradition, which is one of the primary flows of wisdom and knowledge that we have here, how important that is and how rich the, the mindfulness practice is. And also from the Mahayana tradition, then we have you know, this greater sense of uh, connection and responsibility uh, in, the, in the bodhisattva vow of connecting with all beings. And then the Vajrayana point of view really connects in a certain way with this luminous presence that we have been cultivating in all of our practice. So I want to talk with you a little bit tonight about both uh, the metta and the qigong practice and how that confluence of um, essential dharma essence is there. So one of the things, one of the characteristics of our Western culture is we, we are very analytical. And this isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. It's led to many advances in science and medicine, um, our understanding of uh, the nature 
of matter, the nature of, uh, of form, the nature of the universe even. One of the things that that pathway often overshadows is the important nature of the heart, the important nature of connecting with our own lives in, in a deep and very meaningful way. And technology is wonderful, and we all use it, and we'll con- certainly continue to use it. But the cultivation of um, heart essence, of heart presence, letting that be a part in a very real way of our interpersonal uh, you know, connection and communication, how we can speak with one another, how we can be with one another, how we can... Uh, tolerate the differences that we share as a, as a human family. These are really important uh, new, and I would say, <clears throat> I would say evolutionary skills. You know, the Dharma, as we practice it, is a revolution. Welcome to the revolution. So it's revolutionary to, uh, to find a way to live and communicate out of kindness. It's revolutionary to live and communicate in a way that embraces differences. Now, not everyone will share these values, and as we, as we well know, they don't. So... No names need be said, right? (laughs) Nevertheless, um, our cultivation of these core factors become even more important in challenging times. One of my favorite Dharma teachers is Michelle Obama. (laughs) When she says, when they go low, we go high. So it really points to something very important. A couple of things. It's really listening. As I listen to her, I'm listening to the feminine. I'm listening to the field of the heart and understanding that to feed back fire against fire doesn't work. Um, Our finest teachers, our best examples, Dr. King and uh, Martin Luther King, um, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, San Suu Kyi, um, you know, Nelson Mandela, uh, of course the Dalai Lama. They really focus on, in a, in a way, us understanding the value and the power of nonviolent action, nonviolent connection. So it's difficult. It's not like that is an easy thing to say, well, I'm just going to be nonviolent, you know. Good idea, right? But, but uh, then to actually uh, embody that knowledge is a whole different thing. Any knowledge, the, the, knowledge, of, the, the knowledge of practice of metta or the, or the qigong, is all about embodiment. We don't learn just by being able to recite or memorize things. We learn by directly connecting with 
this, um, the essence of the knowledge that we're connecting with. So we have this form of knowledge that is that, that we get from studying, that we get from uh, reflection, that we get from, you know, uh, practice, different forms of practice. There's also a very important other form of knowledge. That's that direct experience. So direct experience, of course, can take form in words. But what I'm pointing to here is in the Dharma way, in the, in the way of our contemplative practice, in the way of embodying mindfulness, is to know this core truth of interconnection. And each of us, in our own way, have spoken into that, have, have highlighted that. But it's also the responsibility of each of us to really deeply connect with that, to know that in a way that is beyond doubt. And certainly using our minds in the way that we can to understand dynamics, to understand certain elements of physics is very important. But this practice of metta opens the field of the heart so that we can know the nature of the universe directly as pure awareness, really. And what is that pure awareness? It's love. It is pure love. I think of one of the things that Albert Einstein said towards the end of his life, amazing Dharma guy in in himself, and uh, one of his inquiries, one of his questions was, is the universe kind? What a powerful question that is. Is the universe kind? We have some, some ways of looking at the universe and looking at space in which it looks like cold, vast, you know, you know, millions of, uh, billions of galaxies and so on. Um, but is there any life there, you know? And we, we think of life as, as how we know life here. But the truth is, all of the universe is life. Everything is life. The chi, the life force, the prana, however we want to call it, that moves through us in our own bodies and in nature and our connection and is the same life, is the same chi, is the same intelligence that spirals the galaxies in space. Yeah, so considering that, feeling that, we have this connection with all of life and it is... um, it's something to understand in a cognitive way, and then perhaps in study of uh, physics or something, but it's also very important to directly connect with it. So this knowledge that we get through our metta practice, uh, through dharma practice, through basic, the foundational, wonderful practice of mindfulness itself, um, in a certain way, is not something that can be dis- deconstructed with the mind, with the, with the cognitive sense. 
Now, we can do some understanding of that, but our understanding also wants to be in this deep field of the heart, deep field of uh, presence awareness. So what does metta do? I mean, why are we engaging in metta? Besides that it's just a a great thing to do and good, good practice. And why do we do qigong? Why would this retreat be metta and qigong? So since this is a silent retreat, I'll answer the question. (laughs) I talked about the the Buddha's response to the question of what does he do? And he said, I teach the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. So each of these ways that we, that we engage helps to um, create some space, some space for liberation, some space for our heart to, to open, to safely open, to be in connection, to be in community, to be in sangha. In a certain way, in a very real way, the metta practice and the qigong practice are an intervention. They're an intervention on habitual patterns. And so much of our mindfulness uh, is, is directly connecting with how these habits of mind and habits of heart and spirit and body take place. So... The intervention helps to create space. When we do our qigong practice, the mindfulness, uh, that as a way of engaging with the body, is to create some space of feeling so that we can learn how to listen to this other layer of intelligence. Now, the shamanic teachers and the aboriginal cultures and our wonderful uh, indigenous cultures throughout the planet have a really have um, have a kind of an, an innate sense of the value of nature and the value of their connection with nature. Now, our language is a connection with nature, but. In some ways, in that shamanic way, in that very primal way, they recognize no difference. There's no language for us and them so much. Now, we have our discriminating minds, and so now in Western culture, in modern times, we use this language. But it's important, I feel, to really look behind the language to the meaning. So in the uh, Mahayana tradition, in my practice of Zen, we had the, the teaching of, the, of what's called the Four Reliances. So it's something like this. So rather than relying on the teacher, rely on the teaching. 
doesn't mean you throw the teachers out. But the, the idea is that, you know, when we're looking for the meaning, we're looking past just the connection with the teacher. And that, of course, still remains very important. Then, regarding the, regarding the teaching, you look past or look through the teaching to move to the meaning of what is taught or what you're practicing. You look to the meaning of metta. You look to the impact of metta. So when we do that at first, then we have the distinction of what is the uh, provincial meaning. It's kind of like the normal meaning of it. And then, then you have what could be called the definitive meaning. So the more, you know, solid meaning, the essence of the, of the teaching under the, you know, past the, provi- uh, the provincial meaning. Is that making sense? Connecting here? But the fourth reliance, I, I believe, is the most important one, and it's the one we practice here, um, and that is more than ordinary consciousness we trust this deep, intuitive sense of connection and interconnection. So call this what you may. You might call it Buddha nature. You might call it the Tao. Some call God. You know, the, the, the nature of life itself, the nature of the universe, the life of the universe, where this mystery of all of us showing up here is from. So the invitation there is that very deep, heartfelt sense of connecting with this nature within ourselves. So the metta practice can do many things. It can open into this natural concentration, this field of absorption, and these are wonderful things. But the essence of the practice is the heart opening and the impact that that has on everything that we do, all that we express. And we connect really with what is compassion. And each of us in our own way, we've talked about compassion. I have, everybody's invoked the Dalai Lama, so I'll invoke the Dalai Lama as well and and read to you one of my favorite quotes of HHDL. All right. Okay. I've had many great opportunities to sit and get and receive teachings and do kind of a little bit longer retreats with the Dalai Lama. And uh, this is what he says about compassion, which is one of the qualities of the heart that, that opens through this meta practice. You know, Mindfulness is not that hard. It really isn't. But we do set up a kind of ground for it. And this ground of meditation and of engagement that we do on a retreat is, in fact, a cultivation. So the original word uh, for meditation, one of the words that's translated from the, uh, from the Sanskrit or from the Pali is bhavana. Bhavana, you may have 
heard that, you may not have heard that word. What it means is cultivation, and it often gets translated as meditation. So meditation is actually a cultivation. It's a cultivation of our spirit. It's a cultivation of our awareness. It's not grinding in there, although sometimes we do. But mindfulness itself is very simple. Oh, yes, the Dalai Lama, compassion. So uh, this is what he says. He says, true compassion is not just an emotional response, but a firm commitment based on reason. Therefore, a truly compassionate attitude towards others does not change even if they behave negatively. Reading this in the greater context. (laughs) Through universal altruism, you develop a feeling of responsibility to others. How powerful is that? and the wish to actively help them overcome their problems. Right? So listen to that. You know, the the Dalai Lama is saying, it's not just the feeling that arises. It's not just the emotional tone. But it's what's underneath that. It's based on a certain, uh, based on a uh, a commitment based in reason. So, Think for a moment of, the, of those that you love and really care about. And when you consider them, have you ever been upset with them? Have you ever been angry with them? Right? Does that mean you don't love them? No. Of course you do. It's just that's a flow of, of an emotional tone that is present in the moment. Underneath that is your commitment your connection with them. And that's, that's a, you know, we can say that's based on reason. There's a certain kind of quality of logic to that. We feel that um, sometimes that, that in order to practice metta, in order to practice compassion, we have to somehow generate and feel that compassion. And sometimes we do. Sometimes our heart is open and it's like easy as pie to just connect with, um, you know, whosoever, he that shall not be named, or whatever, you know, just to be able to connect and, and, and make that heart space connection. Other times it's more difficult, it's more challenging. But the cultivation of our practice Um, strengthens that commitment that's underneath that. As the Dalai Lama said in the last line, the wish to help them actively overcome their problems. So as we know, all points of view are not equal. Um, Some values work towards goodness, work towards well-being, work towards freedom, work towards the space of love, the potential of love. And others work towards not having that, towards suffering. Now this was, in fact, you know, this was the essence of the Kalama Sutra teachings. 
uh, the Kalama people asked the Buddha, you know, how do, we, how do we know the truth of something? Right? How do we know the truth about things? The basic guidelines, what opens up in the field of the heart, the field of uh, essential ethics, is that if the actions that you do bring about goodness, bring about freedom, encourage love, do those things. And if they don't, if they don't bring about uh, that sense of freedom, liberation, but they encourage suffering or pain, then don't do those. Well, that's a really simple but profound guideline for ethics, for our action in the world. And this can reinform in a very primal way our activism in life. Right now, we're all called in certain ways to, to show up, to grow up, to show up in a way that we maybe can right now feel very uncomfortable about. But I remember in uh, Spring's talk uh, last night, she was talking about how Dr. King must have been you know, deeply called to that and understanding all the conflicts and the potentials. He understood that you know, he could be assassinated. He understood that and still had that essential courage to go forward. So the paradigm for changing the way that we're in our activism, and this is relevant to what we will take home. What, what, you know, we have this wonderful experience on the retreat, and the tone and the space is so precious. It's just amazing. The heartfelt sense, and even in silence, we're an amazing community. We connect with one another and, um, in the most direct, heartfelt way. So the, a new activism is informed by the heart. And it doesn't mean being gushy, warm, fuzzy all the time. You know, sometimes that is a whoo, that's a samurai sword that comes out, right? <laughs> and by the way, don't move your head. Some of you got that, I think. <laughs> anyway. So that, that bright sword is there. That's, uh, that's one of wisdom. But there's also the quality of temperance or the, the quality of understanding when to use that, uh, that wisdom edge. And that's balanced by understanding and compassion. All of this and what the Dalai Lama offered us here is um, a pathway to understanding to engagement. Compassion is not just that feeling. It's how we behave. It's what we're going to do. It's that commitment to understanding and being present to universal um, altruism, right? 
Don't ask if you're going to be challenged. You will be. You will be. That's part of it. So the, the strength of our character opens out of these challenges. And so each of us will find our own way to engage in life, to bring the Dharma, to bring loving kindness into life, make it real. Make it be the transformative force for the planet. Now, you want to know the secret to this? Give up attachment to results. Just do the action. When you wonder what to do, just do the next right thing. That's what to do. You know, is everything going to change? It might not change in our lifetimes. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But that's not a reason for resignation or for not doing it. In fact, that's the reason to stay committed to this quality of heart, this quality of deep, loving presence that we cultivate through metta, that we connect with in our qigong, in our mindfulness. Huh. So... Amongst the, the dharmic skills, you might say, that we cultivate in both embodied practice, such as our radiant heart qigong, or the metta practice, basic essential mindfulness, is learning how to pause, learning how to just mm, stop. Now, in the Zen tradition, we'd say, you know, we'd say stop and drop. It's not a, not a bad kind of catchphrase. But understand what that means. Understand that to pause in a conversation, to pause in, um, in a moment in your meditation, and it suspends that habitual patterning that is potential, that's part of our human nature. It's not that it's wrong. Are we going to lose our conditioning? Well, maybe not. That's not a life sentence. What that is is showing potential. In the Zen tradition, we also say your angst is your liberation. What? <laughs> it's moving through those, those pieces that show up. It's not like that's something wrong. That's grist for the mill. That's what's here. That's what you have to work with. That's really powerful. So taking that moment to pause is so important. I have a friend um, up in Portland, a good friend and, and longtime student of mine, 
And uh, I'm the godfather to his children, and I've named his children, and we're, uh, we have a, a fabulous relationship. And he calls me on the phone from time to time, and will say something, and, and I'll just I'll kind of sit there with it. He said, are you there, long pause? I said, the long pause, he said, I'm not talking about your hands. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the space. Are you there? I said, yeah. So, so sometimes uh, taking a little bit of, of time, that space uh, of pausing, uh, kind of also intervenes on habitual patterns. Like when you hear someone talk, already having the response, right? So when we do this, not only do we have the opportunity to pause, but there's also a quality of relaxation, um, presence. In my Qigong practices and in my teachings there, I call this quality presence awareness. And presence awareness has kind of um, at least a double meaning. So when we're practicing mindfulness in, to, and through the body and in the field of the heart and emotions, in the mind, you presence awareness by directing or intending your awareness in a certain place. So I'm going to do radiant body qigong, radiant body breathing and, and flowing down. We're connecting with, we're presencing awareness through the whole field of the body. This is a very powerful and transformative process. The other aspect of presence awareness is the nature of presence itself. This pure nature of love, of kindness, the nature of awareness itself, pure awareness. Now, in the, in the Vajrayana traditions, in the Zen traditions, there's all these amazing flowery words about it, you know, and the nature of mind, the luminous quality of living essence and all these w- wonderful terms. But just like in the Reliances, we, we take that and we look behind it to the meaning. So the invitation in our Dharma and our Dharma practice is to take the teachings and really look to their life, to their deep uh, and uh, more definitive meaning. Angst is our liberation. We pause, we listen, and then what happens? Well, what happens in our Qigong practice, in our Dharma practice over time? What does that cultivate, really? Why the heck are we doing this? There is a certain way that um, the metta practice, the qigong practice, the interlacing of these wonderful rivers of knowledge, of direct experience, open the direct knowing. Sometimes we call this intuitive knowing, you know, so you intuitively know something. 
So rather than trying to figure out and top down, suss, suss it all out and have the plan of control, we learn how to trust what emerges out of our practice. And this, this trust is like so essential to the Dharma itself, right? Because we're trusting not just the cognitive nature, which we can rely on to a certain degree, but we also know to a certain degree the tyranny of the prefrontal cortex. Do we not? I mean, there's a certain way that that can, you know, the first few days of retreat, what's happening? Like, slow down, mind, please, you know? All the wheels are turning. We have a few days, uh, at least one or two, in which the rhythm of the retreat, the, the rhythm of the practice begins to loosen those hinges of identity, loosen those hinges of habitual action, and we come into this beautiful container to express, to connect with things we've missed, connect with our heart, connect with our deep love and caring for one another. You know what's under angst? What's under anxiety? Deep caring. Deep caring. So the practice itself opens the heart to this um, revelation of these qualities. So therefore, it's important to do, you know, some retreats and have some sustainability in our practice. It doesn't happen just by itself. Well, maybe with Byron Katie, I don't know, you know. Or a few other people have had some really great spontaneous um, moments. But for the rest of us, cultivation over time, and, and often with some struggle, too. But as we bring ourselves into that commitment, that re- sense of responsibility, that connection, there's a real strength that underlies that. And it's as if the, the heart of the Dharma opens up to meet you, as if the heart of the Dharma opens up to support um, what's arising for you in terms of the things that you don't know, what to do. Just continue to feel into and to trust this emergence, to learn to trust yourself in that way. Oh, well, good. Maybe that's enough. I don't know. You know. <laughs> Just kind of feeling into it. <laughs> Pausing. <laughs> allowing emergence. Long pause. Uh, long pause, yes. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Dharma talks are, are interesting. I was in Japan, I study in the, I'm a Rinzai Zen 
Roshi and studied in this tradition for many, many years. Um, there's a lot of rigor in that. In Japan, I was very interested like, to hear Dharma talks and see what that was about. Here you, we have just an amazing access to incredible wisdom. All these fabulous teachers um, are here through the crucible of their own experience, the, the crucible of their own practice. And they share, you know, when we share, when they share with you, it's really deep, authentic learning. You know, it's not about some list, even though we, we invoke lists because the, the Buddha had lists and the four noble truths and the five this and the, you know, the six that and the ten this. Connecting with that, um, yeah, here at Spirit Rock, we um, and other places uh, in the in the states and in Europe too, very wonderful. So I went to Japan and um, was interested in hearing this older teacher um, give a talk. And so all the monks, you know, they're uh, the, the rigor of Renzai is intense. In other words, I get up at five in the morning. I told my my Zen teacher, I get up at five, and he said, you're sleeping in. <laughs> okay, Roshi, I got it. Okay, was, because often in the, in the rigor of some of those Zen retreats, like we are up at, you know, 3.30 or something like that, and practice for several hours in the morning before breakfast and like that, and then have a, the the kind of the form, the rigorous form of those retreats. So, so often they're very long days, and you know, sleep deprivation is part of it. Not that I condone that. I, I, really, I, I really appreciate the evolution of the form of our practice here at Spirit Rock. Because you know, in the Zen tradition, if you don't show up at a sit, they come and look for you. <laughs> Go figure. But the, uh, so we have the opportunity actually to rest and to reclaim some sleep and some nourishment. And here, like the food, like this is four star, baby. This is good. This is really excellent food. Our cooks. And in all the, in all the traditions, you know, the, the kitchen and what the cooks bring, they're, the, they're like, like the engine of the retreat, right? A retreat, we couldn't do what we do without the cooks. We couldn't do what we do without the managers, right? Without the, uh, all the amazing support that's around us all the time. But I digress. <laughs> I was talking about Japan. <laughs> so Japan, and uh, so all the monks, <clears throat> about the time for the, uh, for the Dharma talk, all the monks go into the hall and they're like... Mm. You know, this is Renzai. They sit up, and so the Roshi comes in, and he sits like, not just on a cushion, man, he's up on like a pedestal, like way high, and goes up there. And the minute that he starts to talk, the other monks go, <laughs> and they're, they're like falling asleep, and I'm like amazed. <laughs> What's going on? So I, I asked, 
I asked afterwards, and 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 uh, yeah, somebody says, yeah, that's the only time they get to rest during the school. <laughs> To sleep is during the Dharma talk, you know. I said, well, the Roshi would, uh, might go on for an hour and a half or two hours. And I said, what's up with that? He says, well, he's talking to the Buddha anyway, so it's not really talking to <laughs> So I got a little education on that. It's kind of, kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, it makes me deeply, deeply appreciate Spirit Rock and the and the, uh, the kindness of the form of our retreats. Yeah. Okay. Long pause. Um, so as a way of completing, I actually want to sing a song for you. And this happens to be one of song, one of Spring's favorite songs, and and uh, I think uh, Temple has heard it too, and it'll probably be newer to you, Mark. But uh, this particular song is kind of like a Dharma song. Well, it is a Dharma song, and um, it speaks kind of directly to the nature of our heart, the nature of our spirit as we engage in dharma practice, and especially as we engage in the metta practice. The name of the song is Bring Them All In. So it's a way in which we open our hearts to everything that arises. So it speaks not only to metta, but to, to the vipassana aspect of our uh, our mindfulness practice. So bring them all in. Let it all, let it all move through. Meet what is arising. So, give me just a moment and I'll be right with you. Just happen to have a microphone right here. So. <laughs> And a guitar, yes. Funny how that happens, right? So once you get the, uh, the lyrics and the refrain, by all means, join in.
Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Into my heart. Bring the little fishes. Bring the sharks. Bring them from the brightness. And bring them from the dark. Yeah. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all into my Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, into my heart. Bring them from the caverns, and bring them from the heights. Stand them in the light. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all into my heart. Bring them out of Perda. Bring them out of store. Bring them out of hiding. Lay them at my door. Lay them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all into my Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in, 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 bring them all in. Bring them all into my
all into my heart Bring the unforgiven Bring the unredeemed Bring the lost, the nameless And let them all be seen Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in Bring them all into my heart Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in Bring them all into my heart Bring them out of exile Bring them out of sleep Bring them to the portal And lay them at my feet Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all to my heart. Bring them all in, 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 bring them all, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all in, 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 oh, bring them all in. Bring them all in, 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 bring them all in. Bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in. <laughs> Put your hand on the radio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Good. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we're still on retreat. <laughs> so we have... Um, a little time now for a walking period, and um, yeah, and then we'll come back. We'll do a little sit, maybe a little more chanting, dedication of merit tonight. If you're feeling feeling that, by all means, come. 
I just want to remind us that, yeah, we are still on retreat, so we want to really honor, still honor the silence, honor that space. We're going to have time very soon to reconnect, but this is still a deep time in our practice to to honor that stillness and that that way of self-engagement. So, I love you. Thank you. Blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.